Right, get your Bibles open this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing to make our way through both 1 Thessalonians, and this will be followed up with 2 Thessalonians. And um, our special focus is on the return of Jesus Christ, and I want to talk to you this morning as we look at chapter 4. I want to talk to you about living in the light of his return. And if you notice this chapter, I'm not going to get to it all this, this uh, Sunday. I'm going to pick up on the second half next Sunday. But this chapter is perfectly divided into two big themes. The first theme uh, in verses 1 through 12 deal with how we ought to be living in light of Christ's return. How many of you think that's important stuff to know? Uh, And then the second half of the chapter, actually starting in verse 13 and moving to verse 18, talks about the hope of the resurrection and what this return of Jesus is going to look like and why it's so important. So these are two major themes. And actually, before I get into 1 Thessalonians, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, and look at Enoch's life as an example of what this chapter really demonstrates. Enoch embodies what we're after this morning and next Sunday. You know about Enoch, you see about him in verse 5, it says this, It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. Enoch's one of those few exceptions where God was just so crazy about his life and so crazy about who he was that it, the Bible just says that he was, he was and then he wasn't. He was taken up. He is gone. In fact, the Bible says he disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, listen to this, important, he was known as a man or a person who pleased God. This is what I want you to see as a picture, a prophetic foretaste, I guess, of this chapter. If all of you want to be there on the great day or part of the great resurrection of the dead, depending on where we are in the end time scenario, but how many of you want to be taken up to be with the Lord Jesus Christ to live forever? Anybody in the audience up for that? Okay, good. What I'm about to tell you is critically important because the former prepares us for the latter. Wouldn't it be a shame? You remember the parable of the ten virgins, right? Uh, Five were ready. Five weren't. The day came, Christ came, they weren't ready. We don't want to be a part of the crew that's not ready. So how do you get ready? Well, it says about Enoch, he lived a life pleasing to God. And that's really what we want to focus on in the first few verses here, First Thessalonians. So flip back over to First Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's read the first couple of verses together. It says here, finally, dear brothers and sisters, and I, I want to emphasize the dear brothers and sisters because Paul's writing here from a father's heart. He loves these people. They're precious to him. He says, we urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in a way that pleases God. As we have taught you, you live this way already. So Paul's encouraging them. He's saying, hey, you guys are doing a good job. But look at what he says next. We encourage you to do so even more. And then he goes on to a very important part here in verse 2. For you remember that we taught you by the authority of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is important. Paul is saying, saints, first of all, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you. This is a father's heart crying out to you. Here's my admonition to you. Live in a way that pleases God. Any married people out here? Okay. How many of you know part of what it means to be married is you joyfully learn to meet the needs of your spouse and vice versa? So if you want a happy marriage, you don't just say, hey, you married me. You knew what I was like. Deal with it, woman. I mean, no, that's not a good start. No. I said, (laughs) Lauren's going, "Mm, mm, 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 mm." okay, that's right. 
Because what my posture is, is I now am, am in covenant. I am a covenant relationship with my bride. Therefore, I want to know what pleases her. What is she like? What is she not like? How does she like it done? How can I serve her? What's her love language? And it's not just a one-way street because she loves me. So she says, honey, guys, check this out. Honey, do you like my hair this way? Why is she asking me? Because she wants to look in a manner that's pleasing to me. At the store, you know the routine. Do you like this? Pay attention, you moron. All right? She's... She's asking you that because she cares that you like what she's trying on. She doesn't want to get it home and you go, I hate that. Why did you buy that? Does it make sense? So I'm learning to live in a way that makes her heart sing. And guess what? I have found that when I learn to make my wife's heart sing, she makes my heart sing. Isn't this amazing? So we're just singing this happy little How can I minister to your needs song? And in the process, we're both so fulfilled and so happy we can hardly stand ourselves. I mean, you know, that's how it's supposed to theoretically work. What does it mean when the Lord says, live a life pleasing to God? It means you pause and you say, wait a minute, this wedding relationship is serious. This one's serious. This one's really serious. This is just a picture of this one. So when you live in a way pleasing to the Lord, here's the questions you ask. Well, what is God like? What behaviors does he like? What behaviors does he frown upon? How about this question? What ticks him off? I mean, you know, in your marriage, if you want to be a disaster, you just find out where the landmines are, and then every time you have a fight, you just go, eh, hit the button, eh, because you know that ticks them off and because you're carnal and fleshly and you want to make them feel pain. I know, am I speaking to the right crowd here? All right. How many of you know you don't want to hit those buttons that are God's buttons? Well, how do we know what... If I'm supposed to be pleasing God, how do I know how to please God? Read the book. Read the book. He tells you in the book what he likes. He tells you in the book what he hates. He tells you in the book what behaviors are going to disqualify us from living with him forever. It's like in a marriage, if your wife says, look, you keep throwing those dirty clothes on the floor and you keep doing this and you keep doing that and buddy, we're going to have problems. The Lord has told us, hey, you live this way, this way, this way, this way. You can't hang out with me forever. In fact, it's a sign you've not really been born again because you're still living like the devil. This is really important. Reading it's really important. I was just at a meeting with many of you where people who are supposed to be representing Jesus are embracing things that Jesus says, "Ah, ah, 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 I don't like that. That doesn't please me. And yet they'll go to church on Sunday. They'll have their clerical collar on, their gown on, their robe on. They'll do all their hocus pocus. But listen, they are not obeying the word of God. And listen to me. I The worst thing that could be written over our church is the word Ichabod. You know what Ichabod means? The glory of the Lord has departed. God says, I'm out of here. Our biggest focus on Sunday morning when we all come together should be living lives that please God. And let me just tell you. Your lifestyle matters 
corporately. You can't say, well, you know what? I, you know, I'm not really living for God right now, but I'm just going to go hang out. No, no, no. Listen, God does not look at us as individuals. God looks at us as a community of believers. And you don't remember like Achan in the Bible? Remember Achan? Achan was the one that took the stuff he shouldn't have taken and he hid it. And the judgment of God came on the whole community, not just on Achan. Am I re- you guys reading the same Bible, I am? Which means this, if we want the presence of God here, what would happen if 500 people were all living as much and as hard and as fast and furious as they could to please the Lord? Don't you think it would change the entire atmosphere of the presence of God's, I mean, God's glory, his blessing of him actually showing up and letting us know would be so heavy, we could probably hardly contain it. We could hardly stand it. Anybody want some of that? So listen, Paul says, please, the Lord, live in such a way that God is honored. Put a smile on your heavenly Father's face. And he goes on to tell us, you know, you're doing this, but do it even more. In other words, keep growing, saints. Don't stop. There's always room for every one of us to keep growing in the Lord. But I want to get to this last part. He says, I'm doing this. I'm speaking by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, how many of you have heard a parent say something like this? Well, hey, do as I say, not as I do. How many of you know that's a death, death to parenting? Because your child looks at you and says, ah, 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 ah. if you can't do it, why do you expect me to do it? Let me just tell you dads. Hey, kids, be devoted to the Lord on Sunday. Dad, how come you're not going today? Oh, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go worship God on the golf course. Your son's going, <laughs> I am going to be out of there as soon as possible because dad's being a hypocrite. Oh, yeah, keep God first in your life, son. But I got a million other things I'm, I'm going to be doing right now. Hey, you know, I'm a busy guy. I've only got so many days out of the week to cut the lawn. You just told your kid that cutting the grass is more important than honoring God and worship. And you expect him to turn 18 and or whatever and to follow your path. Oh, he's going to follow your path. Oh, he'll follow it twice as fast out the door. I was fighting with my son. Not fighting, but my son's a good baseball player. Guess when his tournament game is scheduled today? Eight o'clock. On Sunday morning. <laughs> no. No. Hey, hey, we'll, we'll pick him up at the house because we know you're busy. No, he's busy. We're all busy. But it's a tournament. Why did you schedule something as insignificant and stupid? As a baseball game on the most important day and the most important morning of the week. Text me if you win and we'll see if we can get there this afternoon. My actions communicate what I believe. And this is what I told my son. We are living to please the Lord. We are living to honor God. And son, I know you enjoy this sport, but it is nothing in the scope of eternity and what's valuable in life. It is nothing. It is so, it is a bleep that's going to disappear. So enjoy it for what it is, but we're not going to worship it. And I know some of you I already messed with you this morning. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you, I am trying as best as I can with a clean conscience before God to live it. Does that mean there's not exceptions to the rule? I'm not being a legalist. I'm just saying as a practice, I am endeavoring to make sure my son knows that pleasing God is priority number one in my life. And you know what? He's going to catch it. He's catching it. And he's owning it for himself, which is what I like. 
I'm going to move on here quick because you guys are talking way too much. All right. When we speak, we speak by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what gives us our creds. That's the says who. That's the absolute authority by which we declare things. So let me just encourage you. Make sure when we're out in public and we're testifying at places that we say, thus saith the Lord. In other words, this isn't my opinion about, this is God's opinion about sexuality. This is God's opinion about gender. This is God's opinion about marriage. Are you guys with me? We speak with authority. The world doesn't speak with authority. They have all opinions. We speak with authority. We can say, thus saith the Lord. It doesn't matter whether they say, well, I don't believe that Bible. Well, it's like saying, I don't believe in objective reality. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you don't believe in the Bible. It's not my problem. That at that point is your problem. I've shared you the truth of God's word. Thus saith the Lord. If you don't like what he said, you got to deal with him. But our job is to be the delivery person of the good news. Now, he goes on in the next two verses. Look at verses 3 through 5. And he's talking about the will of God. And he's going to give us some understanding of the will of God. Now, how many of you, if I gave, said, we're going to do a series on discovering God's will for your life, you'd be excited about that? Okay, good. Nobody. All right. Um, that wasn't a setup question. How many of you, we get excited about God's will, do we not? Or we should care about God's will. Anybody care about God's will? All right, good. Does anybody want to live right smack dab in the center of God's will? Okay, good. Now, here's the way we usually pervert it. You know, God, just speak to me and show me your will. I'm excited because, you know, your will means I'm going to have the perfect job. I'm going to make some fat cash. I'm going to live happily ever after. I'm going to pursue the American dream. Show me your will, God. I am ready. Now, we're not usually that overt, but we, we're all mixed up with our motives. I told you all the story before when I was in grad school. Man, I'm being prepared. I'm a, I'm a sharp arrow in the hands of the Lord. Come on, I got a vision. And I'm like, God, show me what your will is. I am here. I am available, God, whatever it is. Fill in the blank, man. I am with you. Silence. God, let's try that again. Maybe you didn't hear me. Here I am. I'm a finely sharpened instrument in your hands, God. I am ready for action. Just show me. Silence. Anger. God, I'm going to say it one more time as if you're deaf. How many of you know God's not deaf? God was waiting to let my flesh percolate so that the yuck could come to the top and he could skim it right off. Because here's what God said to me. I said, I said Lord, fine. I didn't say it out loud, but I, I said it inside. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I said, fine. Um, if you just want to waste this life that's dedicated to you and your glory, you know, fine, that's your problem. And the Lord said to me, as clear as could be, because I was talking about my life and my calling and God, I'm yours. And, and, and the Lord said, this as clear as can be. That's the problem. It's still your life. And I was like, ouch. How many of you know God doesn't need a lot of words? He just says the most cool little one-liners that just, mm, right there, and kill you. And, and I knew at that point I had been had. And you know, when the Lord speaks to you like that, it's like, it's like an arrow. And I just remember weeping and weeping and weeping because I realized it was my, his will had been morphed into my life. You know, if you really cared about God's will for your life, you just say, Lord, here I am. I'm good. If you don't do anything, I'm good. You know, if you want me to put me on the shelf forever, I'm good. If you want, if I want to minister in obscurity, great. I, I'm yours. I'm happy. Okay, you ready? You want to know God's will for your life? No, you don't. All right, yes, you do. Look at God's will. Look at this. 
Verse 3, here it is. We never have to do another God's will series. God's will for you is to be holy. And it gets worse. And stay away from all sexual sin. There it is right in the Bible. Isn't it terrible when we actually preach through the scriptures? We can't avoid all these, all these verses we like to skip. What is God's will for our lives? It's not so much what you do, it's who you are primarily. How many of you know if God can find a person that is dedicated to him and set apart for him, a, a person whose heart is truly wanting to please God, how many of you know the sky's the limit on what he can do with you? But if you don't get the holy, holy thing right, if you don't get the heart attitude right, uh, then you're never going to step into the fullness of what God would have for you. And how many of you know one of the biggest idols in our culture today and in Paul's culture back in the day was sexual sin? Now let's put this in context here a little bit. In Paul's day, immorality was commonplace in Greek cities like Thessalonica were wide open to all kinds of sexual looseness, including immorality that was associated with pagan idol worship. So the pagan religions, of course, they didn't demand sexual purity of their devotees. How many of you know when you create a false god, you make the god like you? Instead of you being like God, you make the god in your image. So amazingly here, the gods and goddesses themselves were grossly sexually immoral. There were even priestesses. They were little more than religious prostitutes, but they were priestesses in the pagan temples who were there to help people who came to worship the immoral idols. In other words, they engaged in sexual acts with the worshipers. One of the, one of the philosophers from many years ago said this about his day. He said, we keep prostitutes for pleasure, we keep mistresses for day-to-day needs of the body, and we keep wives for begetting children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. How many of you know when Jesus came on the scene and he began telling men in that day, hey, hey, you guys follow me. I said, great, we'll follow you. What are we in here for? Oh, by the way, abstain from sexual immorality. Do you know how shocking that was in a culture where they had prostitutes at church, where they had mistresses for their day-to-day needs, and where they had wives for their childbearing? And how many of you know we got the same thing going on in America today? So Jesus, when he said this, these guys are like, are you kidding me? In fact, in one of the occasions, Jesus had to tell them, with God, all things are possible. They couldn't even conceive of how to do this or how to live this way. Now, I should get an amen from every woman in this place, because how many of you know Jesus came along, and by saying, you need to walk in sexual purity, he elevated the dignity and status of every woman uh, in the in the world Because what he basically did is he lifted you out of the sex object animal status. And he said, this is a woman who's created in my image and likeness. And you're not to treat her that way. You're to live honorably with her. Wow, are you kidding? No, he's not kidding. And let me tell you today, if we're going to stand up in a culture that is sexually immoral, and we're going to speak on behalf of the Lord, and we're going to have a prophetic voice and call people to righteousness and holiness, how many of you know we got to, first of all, look inside of our own lives and make sure we're walking the walk? D.L. Moody said this. He said, every Christian's Bible should be wrapped in shoe leather. What did he mean by that? He meant that what we read in the Word should find a life in our hearts and should find expression in our feet. So the Bible that we preach should be wrapped in shoe leather because we're living it, not just talking about it. 
walking it out. And how many of you know, we still got the temples. We're not, we're not having uh, sexual immorality in the church as a way of worship. But you know what? I can go on 394 where my son played baseball yesterday and see a temple established there. It's a sex temple. And people go and they, they watch women take off their clothes and do perverted things. And they do it as a form of entertainment. They do it as worship and they pay their money and, and uh, they feel great and they leave. And, and that's, their, that's their act of worship. I mean, if you always see women on, on airplanes reading romance novels, filling their minds with all kinds of sexual fantasy. You see men on their computers looking at pornography. I mean, we got altars everywhere. We got home altars. We got public altars. We got altars everywhere. And now I, I, mean, I, listen, to a, I listen to testimony after testimony on Thursday night of people who are saying, you know, this is just who I am. I, I'm fluid. I want to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. Or I want to have sex with, I'm a man, I want to have sex with other men. Or I'm a woman, I want to have sex with other women. Well, guess what? God has said very explicitly that all those behaviors, including adultery, including fornication, uh, all those forms of sexual expression do not please him. So if you're a Christian, you care about these things. And I'll tell you what, it breaks my heart to see that sometimes the reason we don't have the authority we need to have in the church, the presence of God in the church, is because on any given Sunday morning, we've got folks that are not living right in the area of their sexuality before God, and God's not happy. So here we are at church singing in Yera, and 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 God knows what's going on in our lives Monday through Saturday, does he not? And so I'm just telling you, when I can't tell you how many folks there are out there that are the non-church attenders. And the reason they don't attend church is because their own pastor ran off with the church secretary. Or their pastor or their elder or their whatever had an affair with somebody that goes to the church and split the family and left the church. You know, we've got a great church in the area. And I won't mention the name. It's not necessary. But a great church that had a great testimony, a great congregation, and was absolutely devastated by a pastor who had sex with a young girl in the church. Uh, not married to her, obviously, and it was on the news and headlines that every person, every person in that church bore the shame uh, and the stigma of what happened in that church. And you know, it takes years, years, years to come out from underneath something like that because you know what the world, all you got to do is look at the comment sections in the paper, right? People, you hypocrites, you throwing stones, you know, and guess what? Sometimes it's like, Okay, pick up another one, throw it. We're, we're guilty as charged. So I'm just telling you, will you please pray for your pastoral staff every week? Because I'm not standing up here today like I'm macho Superman and I got this thing figured out. I'm up here as somebody just like you that's trying to live a holy life out there. And we have immorality and perversion all around us now. In fact, it's being governmentally sanctioned. In fact, it's, we're, we have perversion being called good. Not just accepting it, not doing it in the in the corner, doing it out in the open and putting our governmental stamp of approval on it. I'm pleading with you this morning, if you care about God's will for your life, live in sexual purity. We're going to have a chance at the end of the service today. You know what? We just need to come clean. And we prayed for multiple people for service saying, you know what? My, I'm just battling my mind or I deal with this at work. and I just need to pray. When you pray and you confess your challenges one to another, your sin one to another, it diffuses what the enemy wants to do in your life. 
So first thing about the will of God is just God says very clearly, I don't want you to live in sexual sin. Secondly, I'm moving on quickly here. Secondly, he said, basically focus on your marriage. Look at verse 6. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. In other words, you have an exclusive uh, marriage commitment, a marriage vow, marriage covenant with your spouse. Honor the covenant. For look at what it says next. This should put the fear of God in us. For the Lord avenges himself all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives you the Holy Spirit. If you continue to, to hear the word of the Lord and live in a way that's contrary, God very clearly says you're not rejecting Pastor Ron's challenge, you're rejecting his challenge. You're rejecting his commandment. And he says, look, I've given you, I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit could have been called a lot of things, the Spirit, the Spirit, the loving Spirit, the compassionate Spirit. But isn't it interesting that the designation God gives his Spirit out of all the things that the Holy Spirit is and does, he calls him the Holy Spirit. Because when he comes to live inside of us and we're truly born again, his job is to make us look and act like Jesus. Aren't you grateful for that? So we're not out here fighting this week on our own. We have the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of us to keep our leash short, to help us bounce our eyes, to make sure we don't click that button where we shouldn't click, to make sure we don't get involved in conversations we shouldn't be having. The Holy Spirit wants to give us the victory. And the Word of God should give us the structure and put the, a healthy sense of the fear of God because anybody that's born again wants to please the Lord. I'm t- telling you this morning, if there's no desire in you to please God, you don't know God. And that's okay. It's not okay, but it's okay because we can change that this morning. You can say, God, I want to know you. I want you to change my heart, and he will. But if there's no desire in your heart to please the Lord, you're not his. Because that's what the Holy Spirit produces in us, is a desire to please God. So avoid sexual sin, and he says, focus on your marriage. Now, I can't tell you, we, we wait how many years, I'll, I'll use my example. I wait how many years to get married to that wonderful woman right there and live in sexual purity before marriage. And then we get married, and God blesses sex in marriage. But how many couples have trouble with sex in marriage after they're married? And God's like, I'm blessing this. This is the prescribed playground for sexuality. Have fun. And how many couples don't have sexual relationships or aren't thriving in that area? So we have women fantasizing in one way, men fantasizing in another way, or everybody's just miserable. But we have no proper outlet. I would say to every young man in this room, Man, if you have sexual desires that you're trying to keep uh, in wraps, how about this? Live a godly life, marry a godly woman, and have all the sex that you want after you're married. But stop playing video games, stop looking online at porn, and pick up the phone and ask a young lady out on a date. We got all this hidden sexual sin. Be a man. Oh, man, my desires are so strong. Get away from mortal combat or whatever and go find a real woman. And love her in a righteous way. And treat her like a queen. 
All right, enough of that. All right, abstain, avoid sexual sin, focus on your marriage, make sure you're pursuing uh, godliness in your covenant union. Number three, he says, love your fellow believers. Look at verse nine. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you, check this out, love them even more. Now, let me tell you something else. The church was radical in its day because of its sexual purity. Let me tell you why else it was radical in its day. Because of the way a diverse audience of people could all love each other. How many of you know racism is not an American phenomenon? Racism is part of the curse Racism exists everywhere. In Paul's day, we had socioeconomic classes that looked down on each other, whatever. We had Greeks and, and all the different sects that would not even get along. It's not even a black and white thing ex- exclusively. How many of you know you can go to Africa and find tribes that hate each other and they're the same color skin? Just like you can go find white people that hate each other and they're, they're the same color skin. It's not a skin issue exclusively. It's a heart issue. And this is why what I get excited about in this place is if you look around, we're having a growing expression expression of red and yellow, black and white, and they're all precious in his sight. And I'm excited about that. I was I was kidding for service. You know, Dave going on the mission field this year with his precious daughter, and he's out and selling stuff next to us. And I went up to big old Dave. I gave Dave a big old hug right out here, Crown Point, Indiana, right in the parking lot. Smaller white guy, big black guy, he's hugging me, I'm getting lost in his hug, but I, you know what, I didn't give, I didn't give him like a little, you know, religious, no man, I wrapped my arms as much as I could get around that barrel chest of his, I gave him a serious hug. You know why? Cause I love him. I love him. And I shared this morning, I, I can get a serious suntan in the summertime, I'm gonna be looking just like you by probably August, I'm guessing. You'll be going, is that Pastor Ron or is that David up there singing? And then you oh, no, no, that ain't Pastor Ron. All right, anyway, my point is this. This should be the place in, in the whole region where they go, wow, you know what? Those folks over there love each other, pray for one another, support each other. You come into that place, you, you don't see color distinctions. There's not the rich folks sitting over here and four folks sitting over. No, 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 no. They work together. They love one another. In fact, they're so crazy about loving diversity, not poverty, but diversity. You all know the difference. That they're willing to go to the uttermost parts of the world and love people that are really different from them. How do you do that? Jesus changes your heart. He makes you love people made in his image and likeness, not rich people, poor people, white people, black people, tan people, whatever people. We love people because there's something different on the inside of us. And the church should be a microcosm of what heaven looks like. That's why we should stand out by the way that we treat each other. So praise God. So we're going to avoid sexual sin. We're going to focus on marriage. We're going to love our fellow believers. Let me wrap it up with this. Look at verse 11. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own stinking, oh no, your own business and working with your hands just as we have instructed you before. Paul's saying we told you this before. Then look at verse 12. People who are not Christians, people who aren't believers will respect the way you live 
and you will not need to depend on others. Now, this is important. Paul says, be at peace. No meddling. Don't be going around stirring up strife. Don't be a restless agitator. Let me tell you something I've seen as a pastor. Sometimes the people who are the biggest agitators in the church, they're always getting anybody else's business, are the people who are most not at peace in here. If you don't like you, and you're not happy with you, and you don't like the world, I mean, if you're not happy with you, you're not going to like much of anything else. And you won't like this, you won't like me, you won't like the worship team, you won't like Dave, all right? You won't like him. You won't like the person next to you, you won't like the guy out in the parking lot. Let me give you a secret diagnostic, you know, point here. And this comes from a guy with a psychology degree, okay, and a counseling degree. Listen to me, I'm an expert. (laughs) Thank you, Jay, for that comic relief. I'm not an expert, but I have the degrees to pretend I'm one. Let me diagnose your problem for you. You're not happy with you, and you're making everybody else miserable. Stop it. That was my therapy session. Stop it. Not just stop it. We want to help you stop it. How many of you know we got to get healed from the brokenness and stuff inside of us so we can not be busybodies. We can be at peace. We can live our lives out at peace and confidence. That's what Jesus brings to the mix. That's pretty cool. And let me end with another point that's good. If I haven't offended you already, wait. I got five points. I only covered four. I got my fifth one coming up. This is a doozy. Actually, it's not mine. It's the Lord's. Mind your own business. And then he says this. Be a hard worker. Work with your hands. Don't be idle. Don't be slothful. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.28, if you're a thief, I'm paraphrasing, knock it off. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. This is God's will for our lives. Let me get real pastoral with you. When people come here with financial needs, first of all, I want you to know, to, to know we give priority to our family, which is those who are members here at Living Stones. So if you come and you have a need, we care. And let me just say this openly. If you are ever in a tough situation where you're in between jobs or something like that, please come and see us. We want to help. We're the body of Christ. Amen. We care about each other. But this is what we usually say to somebody who's calling on the phone. You say, you know what? Um, We would love to meet you. Can you show up on Sunday morning? And our pastors would love to talk with you right after the service. Guess what? They never show up. After an invitation like that, wouldn't you show up whether we gave you money or not? Just to meet nice people like me, you would show up. But no. Or even this, someone will take the time to drive here and want help. And we'll say, you know what? Great. Come out Sunday morning. Our pastor wants to meet with you. And we'll talk more about how we can help and get to know get to know what's going on in your situation. No. Had another pastor. I heard this story. He used to keep a shovel in his office. When someone would come up to the door saying, man, Pastor, I'm in real bad times. I, I can't pay my NIBSCO bill. He'd say, you know what? I've, I got no problem helping you. Um, but we have a little work to do around here at the church. Do you mind Do you mind giving us a day of work and in exchange? We'll pay you X amount of, uh, uh, by the hour and we'll give it to you at the end of the day. This is what the pastor said. In all of his years of pastoring, he never had one person grab the shovel. Now listen, compassion is not 
giving people who don't care about improving their own selves money. That is not compassion. That is insanity. That is rewarding insanity. That is rewarding irresponsibility. The goal is not to stay. I want you to see this is the Bible. It's the Bible. It's right here. I got to read it again so, so you're not mad at me. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. Let me tell you something else I found. Some people make it their goal in life to secure the magic chicken in the pot called social security or disability. I know of able-bodied people. They might have a pain here or a pain there. Able-bodied people who their whole goal is to try to get a check from the government for the rest of their lives. Let me just tell you, that is slavery. That is slavery. And you know what? Once you know you have $127.32 coming every month. Now, you're broke as joke. You can't live on that. But you're, you, I wouldn't think of going out and getting a job because I have $127.32 coming every single month for the rest of my life. And if I work... I won't get that. Yeah, but you might get $500 a month. And you might be able to get a better job. But you got $127.32 is coming every month, whether you do anything or not. You are a slave. God's goal for what is his will for your life? So that you don't have to depend on anyone. Now, this is good news. Because I don't know about you, but there's nothing better than having enough resources to meet the needs of your family and then some. Am I speaking to the right crowd? Now listen, I am not talking about people who are coming out of brokenness, who are coming out where they've just been totally beat up by the devil, where you're coming out of addiction or drug addiction or alcohol addiction or, or, or uh, you're in between jobs and you're broken, you got nothing. How many of you know we need to bend over backwards to help people in that situation? And I just want to tell you, don't, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Because if there are any of our family that have a need and you're in between jobs or something like that, we want to help you. But what we don't do is just throw money into a bottomless pit. Because there has to be some skin in the game from you. We say this all the time in ministry. You know, sometimes you want to help the person more than they want to be helped. Mary Sue, you're a counselor. How many times have you sat across from somebody and you're pouring your heart out and you're trying to... <laughs> a frustrated veteran counselor right there. Right? And you're like, ah, we want to help you more than you want to help yourself. Which is why, again, I, I, we use this phrase, it's the desperate who get delivered. Sometimes hunger is a great motivator. Sometimes sleeping in a car, if you have one, is a great motivator. So you don't want to pull somebody out of the backseat of a car too soon. I'm just being serious. You want there to be a teachability. You want there to be a brokenness. You want people to want to change. You want people to want to move on. Am I speaking to the right crowd? And I said first service, I probably should stay away from this, but I'm just going to go for it. If I find a Bernie bumper sticker in this parking lot, I'm going to hurt the car. All right. I will hurt that car. I, I might not hurt the car, but I might peel off the bumper sticker. Okay, 
I'm, I'm, I'm doing bad modeling for you. I won't hurt your car. I will not touch your bumper sticker, but I will want to. <laughs> I will be fighting with every ounce of the Holy Spirit power within me to keep me from doing that to your car. This is the gospel. This is not political theory. This is the gospel. You work hard. You make money. You save some of the money. It's called capital. You don't have to be a capitalist or a rich male white guy to get it. You work for it and you save it and you build capital. That's why we are a capitalist. Because when you build capital, you can give it. You can invest it. You can buy something with it. And you can make that money work for you and you get more. It's not because you're evil. It's not because of President Bush. Um, it's, uh, it's not any of those things. It's not because you're a Republican or a Democrat. It's because you work and you save and you manage what you have. And it works for any single person, irregardless of who you are. It's called capital. You live within your means. Let me just say something else, which is totally unpopular, but it's a principle of success. The more enslaved you are to sin, the less capital you have. If you have a drug habit, you are going to be broke. If you have an alcohol problem, you're going to be broke. If you don't know how to treat your wife right or your husband right, you're going to be divorced and less rich than you are now. You will be broke. If you lie at work, you will be fired and broke. If you give a half-baked job at work, you will be fired and broke. If you don't work on improving yourself, you will be broke. Nobody is going to do this for you. The tooth fairy is not going to rescue you. Uncle Sam's not going to help you. You do these things. And in doing them, if you honor God, and remember the goal was to live, what's God's will for your life? Live a life pleasing to God. Obey, what is his will? Stay away from sexual sin. I, I have an unnamed nurse in here who's very close to me, who's caring for a patient right now, 34 years old, dying from AIDS. What a tragedy to be 34 years old and having a disease eating your body. Sin destroys po- poverty. Sin leads to poverty and destroys prosperity. Isn't it interesting in our elections? We don't want to hear anything about social issues. It's the social issues that lay the groundwork for the economic prosperity. If you have a nation of moral degenerates, you will not prosper. If you have people who cannot control their own lives and live in a way that honors God and honors other people, you will have a broke nation. If you want to go somewhere, I'm speaking this morning, hear the word of the Lord. Determine in your heart, because some of you are at a turning place right now this morning. I'm talking to some of you. Determine in your heart that you're not going to live your way. You're going to live God's way, and you want to please him with everything in you. Make that determination. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. And set me free from all these things that have been screwing up my life. And guess what? The gospel, good news, is Jesus has the power to change you and break every chain off of your life that sucks all the prosperity off your life. That's the gospel. And then you say, all right, I used to carouse around. I'm not going to live that way any longer. 
how many of you know you have a choice? Oh, no, I'm, I'm just gay. No, you're not just gay. You have, a, you have a perverse desire to pursue sex with people of your own gender. You're not gay. In fact, trust me, it will not lead to gayness or happiness. It will lead to misery. You make choices with your sex life. Oh, I'm just addicted to, to this and I have to go and I have to look at it every day. No, you don't have to do that. You have the power in the power of the Holy Spirit to change your choices now. Oh, man, you know, my marriage is a wreck. Make it a non-wreck. My gosh, there's help around here for everybody. Pursue it. Help me. Teach me. I want to do a better job. I take full responsibility. What can I do? I want to learn how to please my wife. Great. You're on the pathway to blessing and prosperity. You're not a victim. You're not a jellyfish floating through the ocean of life. Come on. You have a spine. You have the power to live righteously. Every one of us in this room has the power to walk in the blessing of God on our lives. In fact, that's the will of God for your life. Please, God, make that your focus. God, I want my life to please you. I want to put a smile on your face. Understand that the cross has already put a smile on God's face. We're covered in the blood of Jesus. He's already smiling, but I'm talking about in practical terms, the way you live your life. Listen, I have a smile over all my kids. I love my son, Jason. He's the best kid. But there might be a time when he doesn't live to please his father. It doesn't mean I don't love him. It just might mean that the joy bubbles are not quite as as big and bubbly as they were before. Why? Because he's living in disobedience to the pleasure of his father. I'm not talking about making it to heaven. How many of you know the cross has already paved the way? But I'm talking about this. I, I want this. I want my mom and dad to know that, you know what? Their son loved them, honored them, that I find joy in their presence, that I want to be the best son I could possibly be. I want to honor my mom. I want to honor my dad. How many of you know that puts a smile on any parent's face? I'm saying, how about to your heavenly father? Every area of your life, you say, I want to make God happy. And you know what God does? He says, I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm telling the truth. No, I want to bless your socks off. You make me so happy, I can hardly stand it. How about when your kids, you know, when your kids are so obedient, you're driving in the car and they're like, they ask you for something, you say no, and you're like, really? They didn't respond to the no? Wow. And you're like, how would you like to go get some ice cream at Dairy Queen? If my kids could just figure this out, I'm the biggest Dairy Queen guy there is because I buy something for me too, all right? But the joy here comes in making dad happy. And when dad says no, he goes, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm with you on that, dad. I'm happy. Great, now let's go get a blizzard, all right? I'm feeling like a blizzard. Hallelujah. I'm giving away my... I'm giving away my hints right now. I, I imagine I'm going to see some incredible behavior modification, at least for this week. Uh, they could just figure that out. All right, stand to your feet. We've done enough damage for today. Isn't the Bible practical? Father, thank you that you talk to us re- real straight terms that we can understand. And Lord, we understand today, God, none of us wants to walk in poverty, whether it's moral poverty, spiritual poverty, physical poverty. Lord, we want our families to be healthy. 
We want our relationship with you to be strong and vibrant, Lord. We want you to be able to bless us and bless what we touch. And God, we want to be able to prosper so much here that we can sow it to the nations. We can, we can sow it to our community. We can bless other people. We, this could be a place where when people are in desperate need, they can come here knowing that we'll love them, we'll help them. But Lord, not just give them a handout. We'll actually help them come to know you and get the transformation happening in their lives where they can take what they've received and then turn it into blessing for other people, Lord. So God, we just pray that you raise us up Cause us to be like you. Cause us to grow. Lord, cause us to love each other, as you said, even more than we currently do. Help us to love each other. Help us, Lord, to please you even more than we currently do, just because you're working in us. Now, Father, whatever the challenges are, and I hope if you're hearing me this morning, and I've made some light of some things, please hear me. If you're struggling in your marriage, we're here to help. We love you. We're not here to beat you up. We love you. We know the struggles are real. There are some people here that are struggling with addiction. We get it. We want to help. Some people that are struggling financially, listen, we want to help you. Make sure you talk to us if we can help you in any way. And if you don't know Jesus and you want to say today, God, I want to please you with everything in me. Help me, Lord. Help me. Then we want you to come forward and get some prayer. And lastly, and this is important, if you're struggling with sexual challenges of whatever the kind, We want you to come forward. We had some great ministry this morning. Let's get our hearts clean and our consciences clean before God today. Amen? Lord, help us with that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.